Hello, everyone. My name is David Wood, one of the pastors here, and we have been making our way through a series called Relationships. And our focus today, and I think it's quite appropriate, is our relationship with God, um, because today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a very important date in the church calendar. It's a time where we remember the pivotal events of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in particular, the story of the triumphal entry. Uh, Palm Sunday also marks the beginning of Holy Week. And uh, it's the final week of Jesus' ministry, um, culminating on Friday, on Good Friday, in his uh, torture and his death on the cross. And we have Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday. Now, depending on your background, um, churches have an interesting practice during Palm Sunday. Um, When churches gather, I don't know if you remember, there was a day when churches would actually gather. We we would gather in person. It seems like a long time ago. But think way back to the time when churches, uh, when people would gather together. On Palm Sunday, there would be an interesting thing that would happen. And usually it involves uh, the children. And the children, before they head off to kids' church or whatever, they would get palm branches. And they would go up and down the aisles and they'd be waving palm branches and singing one of the many songs that happened to be called Hosanna or Hosanna in the Highest. And they'd be waving these palm branches, and then they'd be ushered off to to, to kids' church or something like that. Now, if you were new to church and new to Christianity, this parade of children waving branches might seem a little bit strange. I mean, what's with the palm branches, and what in the world is a Hosanna, and why is it really up high? Why is it in the highest? Well, all this is connected to the story of Jesus. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two events and then ask two questions, okay? So the two events are the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The second event is what takes place right afterwards, right after this this passage. And it's kind of a mysterious event that we're going to unpack a little bit. The two questions are really important questions. Um, Who is this Jesus? And why should I care? Okay? And so the passage we're going to be looking at is John chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 12. And uh, we're going to begin in verse 12. Okay? So John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, reads, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now his disciples did not answer, uh, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had, had been written about him and had been done to him. Well, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the, the, the whole world has gone after him. 
Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others had said, others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Jesus, this is your word. We do pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you have to say, eyes to see, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond to what you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if the story of Jesus were a movie, um, we're actually approaching the climax of the film. And there's two plot lines that are converging. On one hand, there are people who are pretty excited about this person, Jesus, uh, as he approaches Jerusalem. When uh, Jesus crosses the Mount of Olives from Bethany in order to enter Jerusalem, crowds gather. And, 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 and you see, there are people already accompanying Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, and there's people in Jerusalem that have heard about Jesus, that he is arriving, and in particular, how he is arriving. And so there's a lot of excitement. Excitement is building. And the question on people's mind is... Who is this man? Who is this man and what is he going to do? Now, on the other hand, there are some people that are not so keen about Jesus. They're not so keen about what's, what's, what's transpiring. Uh, and they're keen to stop them. For, for them, the issue is Jesus' popularity. And their complaint is this. The whole world's going after this person. He's too popular and he needs to be stopped before things get out of hand. Now, these two plot lines, they intersect. They intersect on Friday, on Good Friday, in the arrest, the torture, and the death of Jesus. So, lots of themes going on here. Themes of uh, mystery, fear, jealousy, threat, rejection, belief, and unbelief, all mingled together. But we read in this passage about this 
so-called triumphal entry. Um, everybody is, well, a lot of people are excited about Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and a lot of people are nervous. We know that Jesus, he leaves uh, this place called Bethany, uh, comes to a village called uh, Bethphage, and while he's there, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Jesus uh, borrows a young donkey to ride into the city of Jerusalem. Now, all of this, all of this, this whole story, is taking place against a really important backdrop. And what is the backdrop? The backdrop is Passover. And Passover, Passover um, is, this, is this feast that uh, thousands of people uh, would go would descend upon uh, Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Passover, when they're celebrating Passover, they're remembering God's miraculous deliverance of Israel from the hands of Egypt, right? So it's a, they're remembering God's saving acts. And so as Jesus closes in on Jerusalem, you know, you got people, there's a lot of people around. You got people who are following Jesus. You got people who are, who are there for Passover, and uh, we know that during this time that the population of Jerusalem during Passover would grow by 100,000 people. It's kind of like Kelowna in the summer, right? Uh, just a lot of people coming there. And, uh, and you need to see this because under normal circumstances, Passover was a very tense time for Jerusalem. Well, now you have this person, Jesus, and the way he's coming, and, his, and the crowd that's surrounding him, and the palm branches. I mean, it's... It's a powder keg ready to explode in, in many ways. And so what happens? Well, we, we read that there's a lot of shouting and singing that takes place. People took palm branches and they waved them and they sang, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and um, blessed is the king of Israel. Now, this word Hosanna again, these are not just random words. They're steeped with meaning. And we've talked about this before, but as, as the crowds cheer for Jesus, uh, they, they sing and they quote, but what are they singing? They're, they're actually singing from something. And it's from a psalm, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. So again, you say, well, what's the big deal? They're singing from a psalm. Well, it is a big deal because this psalm is an important psalm. And as they sing from this psalm, the whole temperature goes up a notch because this psalm is a messianic psalm. It is a leadership psalm. It is pointing, anticipating, longing for the day where the, where, where the king of Israel under God would return and make all things right. So it's pretty loaded. Now, you can see why the, uh, the Pharisees are a little bit nervous. They're listening and they're like, they're hearing these words. Blessed is the king of Israel, or welcome to the king of Israel. Sing praises to the king. Welcome the king. Oh, and by the way, guess when the king was supposed to arrive? The king, you know, was supposed to arrive. If, if the king was to come, if this king was to come and to make all things right, um, he was supposed to come during Passover, right? Well, then they look around and you get all these palm branches waving. So what's the deal with the palm branches? Well, palm branches, you have to realize, are symbols of nationalism. They're military symbols of Israel's victory over their enemies. And that's why it's always kind of struck me strange whenever I see a Palm Sunday and kids waving palm branches, because it's kind of like waving a sword or a gun in the air, because they're, they're pretty loaded images, right? 
They're fighting images. And it goes back, I mean, we don't have to go into details, but it goes back to about 141 BC when a fellow named Simon Maccabee drove the Syrians out of Jerusalem and the crowds received this news by what? Waving palm branches. They're associated with military victory. And so, when the crowds are, are singing, Hosanna, save us, give us salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, who comes in the name of the Lord? The new king, right? Uh, make no mistake, this is, this, is, this is dripping with politics. <laughs> this is a political announcement in some ways. Um, this is the one who's going to drive out the, Israel's enemies, get rid of those rotten Romans, right? Uh, so you got these loaded songs, you got loaded palm branches, and then Jesus, how's he coming in? Is he walking? No. He's riding. He's riding a donkey. Well, people see this, and immediately their minds will go to this loaded prophecy back in the book of Zechariah. In the, uh, the prophet Zechariah, in Zechariah 9.9, where it reads, Your king will come to you, triumphant and victorious is he, riding and humble, riding on a donkey. Now, let's say you're there and you're taking all this in. How would you react? Well, I think in one hand, it, it depends where you're coming from, right? Depends you know, your position. If you're coming from, let's say, a position of authority, uh, from a position of power, and you're listening and you're thinking, huh, king, king. What do kings have? Well, they have authority. Well, I like having authority. And if this king comes and if he has authority, that means maybe my authority will be lessened, and I'm not too keen about that. Um, am I willing to step aside? I'm not so sure. Which, again, I think even to today, this is a big question. Who has authority in your life? So if you're a leader and you like being a leader and you hear that there's a leader coming, uh, you may not be overly keen about this. You would see this as a threat. Now, let's say you're just an onlook, onlooker at the, in, the, in the crowd at the time and you're taking all this in. How would you react? Well, you'd be thinking maybe, huh, this guy, Jesus, I've heard of him. I heard that, you know, just recently, just recently, get this, I heard that he has his buddy named Lazarus. Lazarus had died, but I, I heard that Jesus had raised him from the dead. Yeah, my, I have a cousin who actually knows Lazarus, and he was telling me, and yeah, so this Jesus raised someone from the dead, and he's coming. And look, he's entering the city, and it's Passover. I know, Passover, this is the time where God's going to do something big. And, and check it out. I don't know what that would be like in Aramaic, how to say check it out, but you might say, hey, check it out, look. Um, he's riding a donkey. I know, Zechariah 9. And listen, listen to what the people are singing. They're singing from Psalm 118. Dangerous psalm. And the palm branches, the palm branches. We all know what that means, right? And so if you're sitting there and you're, in, in, and you're watching all this, you'd be like, this all seems to fit. It fits. It's going to happen. This has to be God's king. This has to be the Messiah. God has heard our cry. He's coming in, and he's going to get rid of these rotten Romans, and, and that's good. A revolution is about to happen, and he is going to be our king. And so no wonder the whole world has gone to him. Now, one of the questions I, I was asking myself this week is this. If I were there, would I have gone 
to Jesus? And if I did, what would I be running towards? Would I look to this Jesus as, hey, this is the guy who's going to fix all my problems. You know, I don't like living under the Romans. I don't like this whole situation. Jesus has come to fix all the things that are wrong for me. I think that's a question we need to ask today. Why do we run to Jesus? Because he'll fix our problems? But what happens if he doesn't live up to our expectations, whereas we find out what happens if he's a different kind of king. Would I have also joined the crowd a week later that's no longer singing Hosanna in the highest but are now shouting out, crucify him? It's an important question. I mean, the first event begs the question, who is this Jesus really? Now that leads us to the second event, and the second event's a bit strange. Um, of all the people who are busy running to Jesus and the whole world's going after him, of all the people that are running to Jesus and crowding around Jesus, we come across some Greeks. We read, some Greeks. <laughs> At the feast, there were some Greeks and they came to Philip. Uh, and they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, we do know that there are Greeks living in the surrounding area. Uh, we know that they probably approached Philip because Philip's got a Greek name. Um, they want to see Jesus. Now, on one hand, this is innocent enough. I mean, that's what Greeks do. They probably got questions to ask. They love asking questions. But for some reason, this, this event, this, this minor event, seemingly minor event, triggers this huge change. It, it, it triggers this huge change in this unfolding drama. You see, when Jesus hears that, what does he say? He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, all along, if you make your way through the, uh, the book of John, and John chapter 2, and John chapter 7, and John chapter 8, Jesus keeps saying, hey, my hour's not come, my, my time has not yet come, the time is not yet right. Somehow this happens, and Jesus says, the hour has come. It has now come. So what's going on here? Well, could it be that when those who are outside the covenant with God's people, Israel, when those who are on the outside begin to run after Jesus, to seek after Jesus, that this is a signal. This is a signal that the scope of what Jesus is about to do extends to the entire world. The world is being drawn to Jesus. And so Jesus says these words. He, basically, he, it's interesting what he says. He says, the hour has come, and, or it could be, you know, it, it is done, or it is finished. It's almost like what he says on the cross. It's, very, it's a language of completion. And so what Jesus is saying is what has needed to happen has happened. The hour has come. So what is this hour that has come? Well, one, it's the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does that mean? Well, it means Jesus will be glorified when he dies. There's a bit of a paradox there. But we know that this is, he says, um, he talks about a grain of sand, right? He's, or a, a grain of wheat, a grain of sand. 
Uh, he says, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so Jesus is a grain of wheat that dies in order to bear much fruit. And so death becomes the precondition for eternal life, for the eternal life that Jesus is, is about to offer us. And it's interesting because even the model of the Christian life is a model of dying. It, it, it is a model of, of denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. And so the picture here is the picture of the denial of self, denial of our own self-preservation or advancement, looking out for number one, stepping on those who get in our way. What Jesus is saying, no, no, this, this, there's, a new, there's a new way of living that you're being invited into. If anyone wants to follow him, and that's what he says, you need to follow me. They need to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. So it's the hour. What is the hour? It's the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified, and he's glorified in his death on the cross on our behalf. But it's also the hour of the Father's glory. And it's an interesting passage because the voice comes from heaven, right? Um, Jesus says, um, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And it's interesting because as Christians, sometimes you'll hear Christians, um, especially yeah, if, if, if you're if you hang around Christians, Christians like the word glory a lot. They talk about glory. If you're south of the border, you're often here, glory, glory, glory. And, you know, glory is a term that we throw around quite a bit. But what does glory mean? You know, it's one of those terms, a slippery term. What is glory? Because glory shows up quite a bit in, in Scripture. What is glory? Well, glory is a manifestation, the expression of the character and the presence of God. And so in this passage, we, we read that both Jesus and his heavenly Father are glorified. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that through Jesus' life and ministry, through his humility, through his willingness to suffer and die on the cross, we get a picture of the character and the presence of God. You want to, I remember uh, Martin Luther talked about this um, guy from uh, 500 years ago author of the, the Reformation, um, he's talked about this. He says, if you want to know the character of God, you want to know what God is like, look to the cross. Look to what happens to Jesus on the cross. Look at, at Jesus' you know, willingness to die on our behalf. His willingness, though he is God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, right? And he dies death on the cross. Thirdly, what is this hour? It's the hour where the Son of Man is to be glorified. It's the hour of the Father's glory. And finally, it is the hour where nothing will ever be the same again. Look at verse 31. Um, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So the hour has come, what does that mean? Well, it means now is the time for judgment. Now. Some of us like judgment. I, 
we actually live in a world that talks a lot about justice, more so than probably I've ever seen before. Lots of conversation in the Twitterverse or online about justice and what it means to be a people of justice. Um, what this tells us, among all the other things, is that injustice will not have the final word. God will make all things right. That's part of what's going on here. He will make all things right. And judgment includes judgment for sin. How we live matters. Um, and every one of us, every one of us, is going to be called into account for how we live our lives. And so, yeah, this is huge. So it means there's judgment. It also means that evil and suffering will not have the final word. Notice what he says. He says, um, it talks about the defeat of the devil, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And what that means is that suffering, evil, all those things will not have the final word. The final word will be life. And then it says, Jesus will be lifted up. And what does that mean? Well, it means he'll be lifted up in his death on the cross because on the cross, all of our sins, all the things we've done that we shouldn't have done and all the things we haven't done that we ought to have done, all of our sins are being dealt with once and for all on the cross. Jesus takes them upon himself, right? And he dies the death that we should have died so that we can live. So Jesus is lifted up in his, uh, in his death. But the other thing is this, he's also lifted up in his resurrection. And in his resurrection, Jesus says, I have now defeated death and all the world come to me. Come to me and I will give you life. So the question we face today, just as we wrap up, is a simple one. But I'll tell you, it's a bigger question than any question you will ever face in your life. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And how are you going to respond to him? Now, honestly, this is, this is the most important question a person could ever ask. Because here's the thing. If Jesus were just some guy riding on a donkey, wrong place, wrong time, ends up dying, and that's it. Well, okay. He's not, you don't even have to think about him ever again. You really don't. But, if he is who he says he is, and if in his death he achieves what he says he's going to achieve, the defeat of death, glory, the loving reign of God in your life and in this world, and in his res resurrection he calls people, all people to himself, then, then you and I need to respond. And this is serious. This is so serious. Um, it's more serious than anything you're ever going to face in your life. Um, it's, it's, it's a response that I had to face um, when I was confronted with this reality uh, many, many years ago. See, the thing is, you don't drift into eternal life. You need to respond. You need to choose. And the reality is, <laughs> we don't have a lot of control over a lot of things. <laughs> That's certainly been the case, we've realized in this past year. Um, all that we think we have can be taken from us in a blink of an eye. But here's a deep truth. Um, and the God of the universe is inviting you today to come to Jesus the Son.
all people be drawn to him. So what does it mean to come to him? What does it mean to come? Well, it means acknowledging that you're tired of being God in your life. You and I make lousy gods. We may think we make good gods, but we're, we're lousy gods. So it's allowing the one who says, I am life, I am truth, I am the way, to be the authority in our lives. It means acknowledging that you're tired of doing things over and over again that you know you shouldn't be doing, or not doing the things that you know you ought to be doing. It means saying yes to entering into a story much, much bigger than yourself. God's story. And it means saying yes to the one who loves you more than you even can understand, who loves you so much, who created you, who understands you, who has already, through the cross, paid the penalty for all, all of your sins, all these things, all the things that separate you from a relationship with God. He's dealt with all that. It means saying yes to the one who will transform you into the person that you were created to be. That's what it means to say yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this, there's no bigger question than this. Will you say yes to Jesus? Because only in Jesus is there life. Only in him can you be the person that you were meant to be and enter into this grand story that started long before you came on the scene, will carry on long after you leave the scene. But wonder of wonders, we're invited into God's story. And it means that when we die, that suffering, cancer, all those horrible things, will not have the final word, but because Jesus defeated death, the final word is eternal life with him. And we shall see his face and behold his glory. That's what it means. So, in light of that, let's pray. Jesus, this is huge glory. You are full of glory. Your character your presence are made manifest on the cross that you loved us so much that you took upon yourself all the things that mess us up all the things that separate us from each other and all the things that separate us from you all the things that um, that uh, frustrate us that bring us down you have taken all that upon yourself and you have paid the debt that we could never pay by taking the judgment upon yourself. And now, through your resurrection, you say, come to me. Come to me. And as we come to you, we live. And we enter into life where, where we're never alone. Your very presence, the Holy Spirit, will come and live in us and transform us into the people we were created and redeemed to be. And so, Lord, we do pray. I pray for all those who are listening to this day and are, are feeling, feeling drawn to you that they would say yes to you today. May we say yes to you today. For those of us who have walked with you for a long time, but we've wandered, we come back to you and we say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.